In the first few months of starting the Energy Talk, we were accepted into a nine-month leaders fellowship that helped this podcast go from interviewing people in my circle to interviewing industry leaders and individuals on the front lines of the energy transition. That program was organized by Student Energy, a global youth-led organization empowering a network of 50,000 young people from over 120 countries. In June of 2021, Student Energy launched the Solutions Movement with the ambitious goal of raising $150 million to support 10,000 clean energy projects led by young people. To learn more about Student Energy's programs or to get engaged with the Solutions Movement, go to studentenergy.org. Thank you to Student Energy for sponsoring this episode. The Energy Talk. Hello and welcome to the Energy Talk podcast. My name is Olubumi Alajide and thank you for joining us again this week. On this episode, we're joined by Uli Lair, who is the head of socioeconomics at the International Renewable Energy Agency, or popularly known as IRENA. IRENA plays an important role in creating reports that helps guide policymakers through the energy transition. And in this conversation, we're going to be talking about how their work is guiding around decarbonizing heavy industries. This conversation will be exploring what just and equitable transitions look like in the industrial sector and what moving away from the carbon intensive processes that we're used to is going to look like for the people who depend on those industries for jobs and the countries that have relied so much on manufacturing historically. I want to thank Garatri for making introductions to make this episode possible and I'm now looking forward to sharing this with you. This episode was produced in collaboration with the Leadership Group for Industry Transition also called Lead It, an initiative that has been launched under the UN Climate Action. Collectively, we are looking at accelerating national and and non-state actors' ambition. We are working towards making sure that the national policies are in line with the trajectory towards 1.5 degree, and then we have the enabling policy framework to achieve that. That was Gokche. She is the head of the Lead It Secretariat. Gokche was inspired to join the project because after energy, decarbonizing heavy industries is the next big challenge, or as she says it. So we actually now don't call this almost the harder to create industries, but what we are calling it within this landscape is they're easier to innovate sectors. So <laughs> hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see that happening even, even more uh, faster. To learn more about Leaded's work, go to industrytransition.org. That's industrytransition.org. Now let's get straight into the episode. My name is Ulrike Lea, and as you heard, I mean, Olu was calling me Uli. That's much easier to pronounce for the international community that I find myself in now. I started out as um, being a physicist. I got a physics master in theoretical physics, actually. And then on my route to getting a PhD in physics, I got exposed to energy and energy economics questions. I listened to a presentation given by a professor in the US and I was immediately hooked. I was totally sure this is what I want to do. This is what I want to participate in. I want to be able to see the implications of energy and energy transition and all these topics on society. So that's how I moved and became an energy economist. That eventually took me to my current position at IRENA. Maybe I should explain a little bit uh, what IRENA actually stands for. That's the International Renewable Energy Agency. 
We are an intergovernmental body, an intergovernmental organization. We have member states and we are trying to convince a lot of people over time to become a member state, rather successful. Well, for being a very young organization, we have our 10th anniversary last year. We already have 166 member states. Here at IRENA, I'm sitting in Abu Dhabi. IRENA has three locations. One headquarter in Abu Dhabi, a location in Bonn in Germany, and a location in New York, which is our, let's say, embassy to the United Nations. Now here in Abu Dhabi, in the headquarters, I'm heading what is called the socioeconomic unit, part of our knowledge policy and finance center. And we are thinking about the socioeconomic implications of renewable energy, of the energy transition, of a climate-friendly and greener world. That is fantastic. Thank you for that. That was a really great introduction. And I'm actually curious now, you mentioned a little bit about your transition to energy economics. So what did you find as different from your career in physics to now being focused on energy? Well, I mean, I can only recommend anybody going to physics and get a STEM education at the early point of the career, right? This is also about young people. So yes, do go ahead, do some physics. It's exciting fields. What made me go into energy economics then was the wish to do something that is relevant for society, to contribute with my knowledge and my research to a political discussion also and a socially valuable discussion. That's what I, I really wanted to do. And that is a bit harder to do in theoretical physics, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure it is. <laughs> so now, now at Arena, you get to um, contribute to a lot of uh, reports and a lot of programs that have this direct reports. You have lots of international policymakers um, looking at these, a lot of governments make decisions based on the findings that come out of Arena as a body. So, uh, what does that really look like? What does that research look like? And how does Arena really look at this responsibility of being the information center for so many different people? My actual work each day is basically, it involves a lot of numbers. You know, maybe that's because also of the natural science background. I don't know, but all my colleagues do that too. So what we actually try to find is quantitative answers. So we, we try to share as people what will be your, your growth, what will be your GDP if you go for the energy transition, and also how many jobs will be created by the energy transition. So can you find a job? Would you lose jobs? And can you find a job under the energy transition in interesting fields? You know, what are the opportunities for men and women? Do we actually have a better gender balance in renewable energy? Well, yes and no, actually. It depends on the technology, I have to say and have to admit. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, so one, one of the m more recent works you did was the World Energy Transition Outlook, which was published by Irina earlier um, last year. And something very interesting was how it broke down the six components for energy mitigation. And surprisingly, I guess for many people who they think that renewables are the solutions to all, renewables was only accounted for about 25% 
of total mitigations by 2015, the scenario that Arena played out. So I just want to talk about the other components, especially when it comes to decarbonizing heavy industry, because I think this is really interesting. I mean, to to really meet the targets of the Paris Agreement and to really, I don't know, aim for not only aim for 1.5 degree, but also meet 1.5 degree, I think we have to look at, at all the sectors, right? I mean, we have to look at electrification. We have to look at using new fuels, for instance, green hydrogen, green hydrogen, the emphasis on green, but um, in particular in the hard to decarbonize sectors, of course. I am German. So Germany has a long history of industry, industrial sectors, also heavy industry. We do cars. I guess we are known for for that uh, globally. But we also do steel, aluminum, and have all the, the all the heavy industries. Now the heavy industries are interested in these new solutions. I don't know if you know that yesterday we had our elections. So there is a large um, share of the Green Party also in, in Germany now. So I guess that will also affect the discussion. Now, in, in several of the heavy industry sectors, I think there is a impetus of moving towards innovation. And of course, the solutions are there. The, the engineers have developed the solutions. The solutions are there. We just need very, let's say, foreseeable pathway to the future. And that's what ARENA can also provide so that the industry knows in which direction to progress, in which direction to steer the innovation and in which direction to move, not to have like what the economists call sunk costs, not to have investment into the wrong technology. So there needs to be a reliability also from the decision makers and the policy makers. I went to the, the COP in, in, in Poland a couple of years and I saw there, it was in Silesia in an area that is very much coined by coal, for instance. But talking to the people, there was a, a will to, to move away from, from coal towards more climate friendly energy carriers and towards more climate friendly technologies. You spoke about Germany. I think that's a very interesting uh, case study to have. Uh, we've talking about industrialization, and you mentioned earlier that you work a lot with numbers and you look at the impact of the energy transition, especially when it comes to the carbonizing heavy industry. And when it comes to communities that focus a lot on, they have a lot of jobs in in heavy industry, they have a lot of job in manufacturing. What does that transition really look like, and how does how how can we make a smooth transition that is not just good for the environment, but it's also good for those communities and workers that will be most, I guess, immediately yeah. impacted by those decisions? Yeah, that's that's a topic that is is widely discussed. I think globally, the headline "Just Transition" has gained momentum over the maybe last one or two years, and Irina also has a, a group of member countries that are interested in this topic. It's, it's, a collab, it's called a collaborative framework. So that is a separate group of member countries trying to address these issues. And uh, I think there are a lot of issues involved with the, with the energy transition. First of all, we do need the energy transition to decarbonize. Then we need the energy, energy transition not to reiterate existing 
injustice and not to come up with new injustice. That's mm. two different things, right? Mm. I mean, the current energy system has a lot of flaws with, in terms of access, in terms of communities not really getting the benefits from the fossil fuel returns, in terms of it, it does have a lot of flaws. And the energy transition should try not to reiterate exactly, do the same mistakes, basically, right? Or manifest mm. these flaws even more deeply. But it should be used to, for instance, provide more access to people who don't have access to electricity or clean cooking right now. And of course, being decentralized, that is more easy for renewable energy, for instance, than for any very central, very big scale, big, large capacity fossil fuel power plant, right? On the other hand, we also don't want to create new injustices. For instance, for workers who have a good job, even a decent job in the fossil fuel industries currently. And of course, we need the right policies to, to transition these sectors into be it renewable energy, be it new fields, be it new economic sectors. And that can be done by a lot of different policies. I mean, one thing is you have, you provide social security to the workers who maybe are at the end of their career, maybe want to retire a little bit early. So you need an early retirement scheme. And we have a lot of experience with that also in Germany because we are going out of, out of coal and out of lignite currently. But also in other countries, there have been similar, similar measures. Then, of course, you have to find the, the overlap between the skills that are used in the fossil fuel industries or in other heavy industries and the skills that are needed in the future. And there's a lot of, of matching, actually, matching skills. So the easiest example is always somebody who works on an oil platform has a lot of skills that also makes the person able to work in offshore wind industry. And then it's more a matter of having the licenses being compatible so that the offshore wind industry actually understands and accepts a license from, from the oil industry, right? So mm -hmm. that workers can transition more smoothly. And then sometimes, of course, you also need to skill, reskill to, to get people interested in new challenges. But what we are not saying is that like the entire fossil fuel sector is going to move to renewables, of course, because there will be so many other options also. When I can come back to access, for instance, I mean, once you have access, there's so much productive use and so many new opportunities that there will immediately also be more and more jobs being created. We call that a spillover effect. So from the energy transition, economic activity and the demand for, for jobs will spill over into the whole economy and into other economic sectors.
Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And something interesting, we're just looking at the public view of this, because if you look at the way, because you mentioned earlier about the way the energy industry has historically developed, it has been developing countries that have been mostly on the back foot for the benefits of development. But now, when you look at the industries, especially when it comes to heavy industries, looking at some big multinational companies that have profited hundreds of millions or something like billions of dollars over the last few years, and, and now they've been forced to change up. Does it affect the way the public looks at the situation and how policy is being shaped as a result of that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think so, that it, it affects the, the, the public notice of industries and the, the, the need for industrialization also. I also think there's more and more and increasing awareness of opportunities in a lot of these technology fields and in a, in a lot of these um, technology oriented jobs also. So so people have a higher awareness of also claiming claiming that they will be involved in these decisions. So there is a, a lot more awareness of the I would even call it the democratic aspect of this energy transition. So communities want to to have ownership also maybe not in the big power plant, but they want to have ownership in the decision how the land is used. They want to have ownership in the decision how spillover effects and productive uses are distributed and so on. So yes, we are seeing a lot of also societal and, and social change nowadays, and the energy transition is definitely part of this. That's actually a very good segue to the next point, which is how can developed countries aid low income on just us just developing countries in achieving industry transition, especially when it comes to heavy industries and those energy intensive um, operations that have been typically associated with with big multinationals and developed countries in the past. In the fossil fuel sector, there have been already some quite successful local content regulations. So a lot of countries do have seen in the in the last years, I would say, have seen increasing demand for local content, for the involvement of local industries. And even I think uh, renewable energy and the energy transition fields can, can learn something from these successful local content regulations. For instance, a lot of them being in Africa. On the other hand, what we need to do is to, to of course, also have, have local content in any kind of technology that is exported to the developing countries and that is implemented in the developing countries. And what can be learned from there, it is very important to focus on the right qualifications and on maintaining a certain level of quality also, because that mm-hmm. is often seen as a difficulty for local content. And I think the training and the uh, maintenance of a certain quality level then enables the local industry to participate and to compete with other industries globally. So it's a lot about introducing standards, skills, and, and quality, keeping the right quality level. And that also helps acceptance in a country because only a technology that works is accepted by the people, right? A technology that breaks down immediately is really, really frustrating for the users. 
Now, this is not really so much about heavy industry, but this is more about technologies that we are implementing, like the renewable energy technologies, like, for instance, solar. Only a solar field that actually produces electricity will be accepted by the people and will then be seen as a chance to, you know, having more of it and a route to a more climate-friendly future. An interesting dynamic that's playing out is, I guess, even in, in, in developed countries right now, you can take the, the U.S. example as they're looking to pass a, an infrastructure bill to invest heavily in making their, the infrastructure more resilient. And a lot of other countries, you mentioned Germany, the Green Party, getting a lot of popularity, largely thanks to the push towards climate change and try to make um, actions that are, that are more um, sustainable. How, how does that really play out? I, I guess you could just speak from my, from my arena standpoint and from I'm from my past experience as well, because it's a very curious place where we need to invest a lot of time and effort and money into um, developing infrastructure. But that obviously is a very carbon intensive process. Building is a very carbon intensive process that involves a lot of heavy industries. So just to get your thoughts on that and how that reflects to what you just said. That's one of the trade-offs we, we also see in our work, in, in our analysis, right? I mean, on the one hand, we want to have a just transition with a, a lot of jobs and also a lot of construction, for instance, to, to build that infrastructure. And I think that is, is actually something that, that we need to go through to then facilitate the renewable energy installations, but also the energy efficiency increase we we and digitalization i mean we need to set up the infrastructure now and when you look at our scenarios that also matches covid recovery of course because we need a lot of investment now to get the whole global economy out of the ditch right and to to get it moving again and we might as well just have a green recovery so that we now set, now that we are investing anyway, that we are setting the, you know, just putting the, putting us on the right track, basically. Exactly. And uh, speaking of getting on the right track, Irina has been very forward, not just in uh, looking at ways to represent data in a way that helped uh, inform policy, but also getting very involved with, I guess, the talent pipeline, especially when it comes to working with youth. And I'm just really curious about that because Irina obviously had uh, very good youth programs that they had a, a, a youth forum earlier this year. So how does Irina really see itself in not just developing um, the right framework for governments to make policy, but also developing an incentive for young people to want to get excited about this challenge, to yeah. get involved with different sectors, whether it's renewable energy or whether it's, 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 it's the industrial sector? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I really like to, to, to share that because we have a lot of initiatives and programs and things we do with young people. And I always start when I give a presentation there, I always say, okay, listen, guys, it's your future. You know, I'm almost at the end of my life cycle. So it's your future and you better get involved. And you just make sure that this future is actually worth living in and is going to happen. So what we are doing is we started schools and we have a program that together with the UAE Ministry of Education actually tries to integrate energy transition aspects and renewable energy in, in school curricula so that kids really at a very early age understand what, you know, solar PV is. You can include that in, in math. You can include that in, in physics. You can also include it in arts and do some artwork around renewable energy. So we are trying to mainstream it 
into, into schools curricula. Then we will be having next year, we will be having the um, open learning platform. I'm really excited about that. And I think that's something we can also maybe even look into together because that's a virtual training platform that will be used to turn Arena's knowledge products into online training. So there will be short videos, there will be interviews, there will be animation clips. And it also comes with regular, like, you know, tasks that can be performed and so on. So that's going to be launched in um, 2022. Just keep your eyes open. Then we have the Students Leader Program, which is a three-month virtual training. We have youth engagement. So that's the SDG 7 youth contingency. And we look at educating the educators because... Mm -hmm. That is something that is um, often overlooked. We are also doing that with UAE together. And that is, I think, really important to just keep teachers, educators up to date in their knowledge about the energy transition and renewable energy. Because it's hard for teachers to, to always keep up to date with pretty much everything that is going around. So this is a program that is supporting the educators to... Yeah, stay alert. Stay on the tip of their toes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds fantastic that Irene is getting so involved. And something that I'm curious about, so this, this doesn't have to necessarily be related to the discussion we've had, but uh, a book recommendation. You've had a very, very colorful career to this point, and I'm curious what what books have you, have you read recently that have really um, gotten you excited, I guess? <laughs> wow, I was always very much of a reader, that's true, but I think more than than one book or one, you know, line of of thoughts and I'm I'm not I'm not the one that uh, goes with a thick book on economic theory and a thick book on <laughs> renewables to bed. I mean, that's going to drop on my nose and break it mainly. So, I think the, <laughs> I think I think the most important thing is read, you know, keep an open mind, read, I don't know, read science fiction, read love novels, read something that is related to your topics, but just read, keep an open mind and read and try to, to keep out of the information bubble as far as possible. Read different things. I mean, read different authors from different backgrounds and different countries, not to be trapped in some kind of, you know, bubble and let your mind fly. <laughs> that is perfect. And that's, a, that, that's an excellent way to wrap up the conversation. Thank you so much, Uli. I really had a fantastic time speaking with you. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Energy Talk podcast. You can find us on all podcast listening platforms. Just search for the Energy Talk. Send us an email to at energytalkpodcast at gmail.com.